Hi, this is Kathy Railsback. Can you hear me? Okay. Oh, great. I, I use uh, she, her pronouns. And I'm reading this morning uh, first from uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? He said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord doesn't see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought, in, brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. The, the second scripture reading is from, uh, from Psalms uh, chapter 51, verses 10 through 14. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God.
that's a wonderful way to weave us together as a single community. Thank you for reading our scripture for us, Kathy. It is said that each preacher has one sermon that they preach over and over and over and over and over again, using slightly different words and different texts to get the same message across. Now, I think that's a tiny bit reductive. I feel pretty confident I have two to three sermons <laughs> that I preach over and over and over and over again. And some Sundays I have the energy and the wherewithal to, you know, really dive into the text and still kind of find my way to one of my two to three sermons. And uh, some weeks I don't. And this is one of those weeks. So it's, it's not even going to be like creatively woven in or clouded in any kind of way. Here's one of my sermons. You are beloved and the Spirit of God is present with you. You are beloved, the Spirit of God is present with you. You are beloved, and the Spirit of God is present with you. You are beloved, and the Spirit of God is present with you. It is also said that the best sermons are those that a preacher preaches to themselves. And I also think this is true. It's true because it means that it's true, right? When I'm preaching it to myself, then I'm, I'm not just sort of saying things. It's like I'm saying things that I need to hear that resonate with a, a deep part of me. So, I am beloved and the Spirit of God is present with me. I am beloved, and the Spirit of God is present with me. I am beloved, and the Spirit of God is present with me. I don't know if this bit is said by anyone who says these things, but I have observed, uh, especially in those, uh, those of us who grew up with an evangelicalized sort of faith, um, whatever faith tradition you were in, many of them were evangelicalized, especially at certain eras of uh, the Christian church. I've observed that those of us who grew up in that sort of setting, that we tend to first hear things in church in the individual. Like we hear it, it's about us, and it's about me and God. and, and it, um, the you, singular, but I think one of the most beautiful currents in our Anabaptist faith, and there are many different kinds of currents and different levels of beauty, but I think one of the most beautiful currents in our Anabaptist tradition is the call to the collective, into the collectivizing. So, y'all are beloved, and the Spirit of God is present with y'all. Y'all are beloved. Y'all are beloved. And the presence of God is, the Spirit of God is present with y'all. And because I'm in the y'all, we, Seattle Mennonite Church, we are beloved, 
and the Spirit of God is present with us. We are beloved. We are beloved. We somehow, ridiculously, (laughs) and without cause, (laughs) we are beloved. And the Spirit of God is present with us. And now, because I didn't have the creative energy to like weave this together or to like hide it in any kind of way, I'm just going to um, also shamelessly pluck a couple of cherries from the text. I'm not even going to do good exegesis. Uh, you know, we're in the narrative lectionary, so you're supposed to be hearing about how we're entering the time of the monarchy. And if I were a, probably a better preacher, I would give you some of that context and I would kind of move you along in our narrative arc so that we're ready for next week. But uh, Here it is. I'm just going to pluck a couple of cherries Uh, because cherries are delicious. (laughs) The first cherry is Samuel, the prophet of God, who's been sent to do like an impossibly hard thing um, in an impossibly hard context, is told by God. He hears God telling him, do not look on the appearance or on the height of stature For God does not see as mortals see. Mortals look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So here's the first little cherry I'm going to pluck from this story, and that is power and belovedness and chosenness, the anointed. Power does not need to reside in a particular or expected sort of body. The expected body for that power to reside in was the eldest born son. Or maybe the second, or the third, or the fourth, or fifth, or sixth, or goodness gracious, the seventh. Seven is this holy number in the Bible, a number of completion, certainly in the first seven sons, we could have expected to find a sense of God's saying yes. And yet, Samuel, sent with this impossible task in an impossible context, he's like, I I don't know. I didn't have the sense that it was any one of these. Are there there more? Well, there's the eighth. (laughs) He's out taking care of the sheep. (laughs) Well, the eighth comes in, and he's the one. He's the one. Which doesn't mean the other seven aren't beloved, of course, because you remember, y'all are beloved. God's spirit is with you. But somehow there's this one that has this particular calling in a particular time in a particular place, and it's the eighth child. That is not where anybody expected. Power need not reside in particular or expected bodies. God sees things differently. Now, before I pluck a second cherry, I I do just want to mention that then later in the text, when David walks in, we learn that he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. So just after we hear that the outward appearance doesn't matter, we hear all about how fetching David was. Uh, And I, you know, the only thing that I'm going to say to that is something that I texted to one of you uh, this week. It just sort of came out, and I think it's going to become a new mantra of mine. We are just so adorably human. Aren't we just so adorably human? We can barely get a sentence in to God not caring about outward appearance before we're talking about how ruddy and fetching David is. We are just adorably human, and we are beloved and God's spirit is present with us.
here's the second cherry that I'm going to pluck because it's ripe and delicious and I'm sure Joyce Royce would have, you know, brought it to me and told me to put it in my oatmeal or bake a pie out of it. The second cherry I'm going to pluck is that the spirit of God upon the anointing of David, the spirit of God came mightily upon David from that day forward. That's ruach, that's the Hebrew for breath, spirit, wind. It's the same spirit that hovered over the deep as God brought creation to be. The spirit was mightily with David from that day forward. It's implied that the spirit gripped David, grasped him from that day forward. David is going to go on to do some pretty terrible things. We hear those stories every year. And um, this year, I've been spared actually from preaching the David stories for several years in a row. <laughs> I think Jonathan had to, and then Amy had to. We were looking at the lectionary and Amy was like, I am not preaching David again. <laughs> so here you are. But you know what? This is the only story we, story we get. So we are like blessedly uh, shielded from the terrible stuff that's going to come later on. But I think it's really wonderful that we have this text this year in the midst of telling the truth, the terrible truth of the stuff that fills up David's icky heart over a lifetime of making bad choices. And that is that the Holy Spirit of God gripped him mightily from that day forward. He too is beloved and the Spirit of God was present with him. So when he prays, do not cast me away from your presence, I want to say, David, it wasn't God casting you away from God's presence. It's the million little things, the icky things that fill up our heart, the choices that we make that make us feel as though we are separated from God's presence. It's not God casting us away. When David prays, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, I want to say, David, God didn't take the Spirit away from you. That Spirit has gripped you. That spirit has gripped you mightily from the day you were anointed until the day you died. It feels that way when we make the million choices that we do and ick up our heart. But God doesn't cast us away from, our pres from God's presence and God does not take the Holy Spirit from us because we are beloved and God's spirit is present with us. And so it turns out that this isn't so much a sermon that I have offered you this morning as it is a mantra. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, I suppose, why I return to it again and again and again, because that's how mantras work. You have to keep saying them over and over and over and over again. You are beloved and God's spirit is present with you. I am beloved and God's spirit is present with me. Y'all are beloved, Seattle Mennonite Church. Y'all are beloved and God's spirit is present with you. We are beloved and God's spirit is present with us. Another thing that I repeat over and over again, and you all know this, I decided not to read it today because, again, I've, I have read it to you so many times, but it's Jan Richardson's blessing. Beloved is where we begin. 
And you all know that it's you begin with the blessing. You begin with knowing that you are beloved as you're heading out into the wilderness. It's a blessing that was written for the start of Lent with Jesus heading out into the wilderness. Beloved is where you begin. Remember emerging from the waters of baptism and being named beloved as you are sent into the wilderness. And don't forget that you are beloved. And then the, the blessing concludes with naming those strange graces that will come to us in our life's journey through the wilderness, through anything. And with their curious insistence, whisper your name into your ear. Beloved, beloved, beloved. Three times, as though it is not a sermon, but a mantra, so that we remember over and over and over again. So I invite you to take this not really a sermon, more of a mantra with you into your life for yourself. Beloved, beloved, beloved. For your spouse or your child or your sibling or that neighbor that does that irritating thing over and over again. <laughs> beloved, beloved, beloved. For that idiot who just cut you off in traffic. <sighs> yep, even that one. Beloved, beloved, beloved. For that person who just said a thing in a congregational meeting that made you upset or feel defensive or make you want to roll your eyes. Beloved, beloved, beloved. And then keep bringing it back to yourself. Beloved. 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 Oh, goodness. Oh, Emily. Oh, I will. Oh, I'm going to. I just need a minute. I just need a minute. Emily Gertz just preached the sermon right back at me. <sighs> Trump. Beloved. Ooh, ooh, that grits my teeth. I can hardly get the second one out. Beloved. Beloved, that's why it's a mantra, right? Not a sermon. Say it over and over and over again until we love ourselves and one another into our true birthright, which is our deep belovedness. May it be so. Amen.